0: so we're continuing our study in the book of romans we just finished the salutation which is the introduction by the apostle paul indicating who he is what he's going to tell the romans and then what he thinks of the romans meaning they are the church that was in rome at the time so this morning we're going to continue and we go to chapter 1 verse 8 which starts speaking of the first Uh, of the first aspect, the first message that Paul wants to give the Romans, and that is that he really wants to see them as he hasn't seen them yet, and that he longs for that fellowship. So we're going to learn today from Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. The inerrant word of God reads as follows. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's grace, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we seek wisdom from you, as you state in your word that those who need wisdom to ask and you will give them. As we look to your word this morning for guidance, For your word says that it is indeed a lamp unto our feet. As we look for hope, as we know that there is nowhere else to turn but to you, Lord Jesus, for hope. May your Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. And remind us of the need for a character of thanksgiving. For an attitude that approaches you with prayer. And for that fellowship which you have with us and which you demand of your children may we learn those truths this morning and be reminded of them as we study this passage we ask this in jesus name amen you may be seated so the passage this morning that we are studying talk about three aspects of the christian life that the apostle paul models for us and hence The sermon title today is Thanksgiving, Prayer and Fellowship, right? Very appropriate as we are exiting the season of Thanksgiving, but yet we are again getting ourselves ready for the season of Christmas, which is upon us already. Thanksgiving, Prayer and Fellowship. As we finished the salutation last sermon, we saw how Paul identifies himself. He recapped the message, which is the gospel, what he's going to tell the Romans. And then he made sure that we know he's addressing it to those at Rome that are called to be saints. That is, to the church in Rome. Today, the first major point that Paul is making is that he wants to tell the church at Rome three things. One is that he, that he is thankful for them, that he's continuously praying for them. And that he longs to have fellowship with them. Thanksgiving, prayer, and fellowship. The first two, prayer and thanksgiving, are essential part of the Christian life. But are incomplete if they are done alone. We can pray by ourselves. We can be thankful by ourselves. But we cannot fellowship with ourselves. We need fellowship. And Paul says that he longs to fellowship with the saints at Rome. So what is fellowship? Fellowship is described as the fellowship of Christians, meaning companionship, deep friendship, life sharing, living life in community in support of each other. Very important, in accountability to each other. And this is to be done among Christians. Sure, we can have close friendships with perhaps our blood family members, or even friends from our youth or our childhood that we're very close with. But scripture is very important when it highlights that fellowship, koinonia, that brotherly love can only be experienced amongst Christians. This week, I experienced some of that fellowship, some with dear brothers from this congregation as we met one on one. In some individual discipleship that I'm doing with another dear brother that uh, wants to be baptized here in the coming weeks, and also with uh, within my own family, <clears throat> with my my daughter with. My nephew, who I love as a son, as we met on Saturday, yesterday. So the key here is that fellowship amongst Christians is not only commanded by Scripture, but it is the way that the Christian life is to be lived out, practically speaking. The great Charles Spurgeon said the following about fellowship, quote, What the circulation of the blood is to the human body, that the Holy Spirit is to the body of Christ, which is the church. Now, by virtue of the one life blood, every limb of the body holds fellowship with every other. And as long as life lasts, that fellowship is inevitable. How true is that? Picture the blood that flows through your through your body. That is essentially like the Holy Spirit circulating in the life of believers, so that we are connected to one each, to one another and dependent on one another. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about this type of fellowship. Let us take a look at Psalm 55:14. This particular verse in the CSB version—it's a very good translation. There, it says. We used to have close fellowship. <clears throat> we walked with a crowd into the house of God. So even in the Old Testament, we see this concept of fellowship of the people of God, walking into the house of God. The next one of our favorite verses, Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. See, basically the aspects that Paul is expanding upon In this first message to the Romans, that's those three things, fellowship, prayer, companionship, thanksgiving. And then 1 John 1, 7, it says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Again, if we are children of God, if we walk in the light, then we are going to have this fellowship with one another. So then as we look at this passage, let us ask ourselves, are you a child of God? Am I a child of God? Are you a Christian? If so, do you know that you have the need and you are called to seek fellowship with other Christians? This includes the commitment to a Christian church, to your local church, as well as living your life surrounded by a community of believers. Let us not forget that this is the presupposition. This is the assumption that the author of Romans, the apostle Paul has in mind as he's writing, as he's teaching them. And for that matter, is the presupposition for all his other letters. Those letters are addressed to Christians. And many times, if we don't look at that in the context of him writing to believers who are in fellowship, a lot of the things that we see and read may be misunderstood or many times may not make sense. Please keep that in mind as we read Romans, as you read the epistles of Paul. He is addressing them to Christians with the understanding that those Christians are to be in fellowship. So now, let us look at how Paul exemplifies these three aspects. First, let us look at Paul's example of thanksgiving. Romans 1.8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So Paul is thankful. God and He's thankful through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is He thankful for? He's thankful for the faith that is known that the Christians in Rome have. This expression of thanksgiving for the Christians as He's writing to them is a constant theme in the letters of Paul. Paul is always thankful for the believers, for the Christians to whom He's writing. So much so that basically every epistle of Paul includes that salutation that he is thankful for them. There's one exception. And that is when he is rebuking a particular church for going astray and creeping in heretical doctrine that specifically contradicts the true gospel. Immediately he goes to a rebuke. That's the only exception. But let us look at some examples of how Paul is always thankful for those churches that he writes to. Ephesians 1.16 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 reads, But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. One of the primary reasons for thanksgiving, then, for us Christians, is that we should be thankful for our fellow believers, for our community of believers that God has sovereignly placed in our midst so that we can have that fellowship. In short, my brothers, my sisters, I'm thankful for you. You are my spiritual family, you are my real family. And I'm thankful for the Christians that, before I was a Christian, shared the good news with me. Remember, who was it that shared the good news with you? We have to be thankful for that because God sovereignly placed those saints in your path, in your midst, so that your spirit would be awakened and believe the gospel. We ought to be thankful then for those that God has placed to speak the gospel, as well as those that we fellowship with. Let us be thankful for that. Another aspect to note in this verse is that Paul mentions that the church in Rome is known for their faith. That means they have sound biblical faith. It implies biblical teaching, which is expressed in love for one another. What should the aim be for us at Acts Reform Church to be known for? All right, there's many things that are important, right? Such as, you know, it's uh, as silly as it could sound, is it a comfortable environment? Like, are we going to be uncomfortable? Well, I mean, we're pretty comfortable, right? That's important, yeah, to some extent. How about is our, um, you know, do we have a, a program to take care of the kids? Yes, we do. That's important, right? Yes. However, that is surely not what Paul means when he says that the church in Rome is known for their faith. Which should remind us that first and foremost, our aim should be to be known for sound biblical teaching, which expresses itself in our characters, in our everyday living, of expressing love to one another and to those that are outside that they may become believers." Let us keep that in mind as well. So as Paul is thankful then for the Christians in Rome, he expresses this thanksgiving in his prayers, in his prayers. So then let us next take a look at Paul's example of prayer. Romans was 9, through a through 10a says for god is my witness whom i serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing i mention you always in my prayers so here's a constant pattern of the prayers of paul thanksgiving regardless of circumstance thanksgiving Right? He did this when he was in jail, when he was under persecution, when he was under the plot of the Jews to kill him. Thanksgiving under all circumstance. And then we also see that Paul puts the needs of others before his needs. Specifically, the spiritual needs of others before his needs. That characterizes much of Paul's prayers. Thanksgiving and then putting spiritual needs of others before his needs. Let us take a very quick recap of some of those prayers. First, we see in Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul prays for wisdom in order that the faith of the Ephesians may be deepened. We read there in verses 17 and 18, also prays for salvation. Later we're going to see there, which we'll call it up now, Romans 10, verse 1. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, meaning the Jewish people, is that they may be saved. That they may be saved. Prayer for salvation of people. Also, in the book of Romans, Paul prays for the unity of the believers. Chapter 15, verse 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Unity of the believers. A couple more. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays for spiritual strength in order that the Ephesians would experience the love of Christ. Spiritual strength to experience the love of Christ. Verses 14, 16 through 19 reads, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is a breadth and length and height and depth, And know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How deep are the prayers of Paul? Next, he prays for love among Christians in that they would have biblical discernment. Philippians 1 verses 9 and 10. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So we see a quick recap of the prayers of Paul. Mostly for others' spiritual needs and growth. And we have to keep in mind, well, what about circumstance like what about those that suffer what about those that are sick what are we to do about those types of needs and what about paul's prayers for himself did he ever ask for prayer for himself so let's make an observation about that when paul is in jail writing to the ephesians he does pray and asks them for prayer for him. Let us take a look at what he asked for. Ephesians 6, verses 19 and 20. This again, the CSB version. It says, this is Paul speaking. He says, Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it As I should. So Paul's in jail. He's telling the people to pray for him. And he says. That he would preach. And that he would do it so with boldness. Because that's what he's called to do. My friends. If I was put in jail. And I wrote a letter to you. Or a text. To one of you. If I'm being honest. One of my first requests would be. Please pray that I'd be able to get out of here. Right? Let's just be honest. And yet, that is not Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer is, pray that the Lord will give me the words to speak his gospel and to do it so with boldness. And Paul was in danger of being killed, right? Because he was being persecuted for preaching the gospel. And that was his prayer. So that's one instance in which Paul did ask for prayer for himself. And that was the content of his prayer. But again, what about the needs for healing and those who suffer? Are those prayers not existent? No. They are there. They're also in the Bible. Right? Praying for someone's health, for someone's healing, for someone who's suffering. That's not forbidden. We actually have a passage that explicitly addresses that in James chapter 5. Let's take a look. Verses 13 through 16. It says... that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So it's not forbidden, it is here. Praying for healing, for suffering, is biblical. Interestingly enough, the context of that prayer implies fellowship. One another, confessing to one another accountability, right, that's fellowship. So that God may grant mercy and provide that healing. A couple other comments, I I don't have it here in the the notes, but I'll just mention them. In Philippians chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter, Paul says that Epaphroditus was sick, that he was almost dying, and says that God granted him mercy and healed him. Now we could assume that Paul perhaps prayed for him, for Epaphroditus. But that's not explicitly stated in the text. Also in 1 Timothy 5, Paul mentions that Timothy has some sort of recurring illness that is really tearing him down. And Paul suggests that in order to help his condition, that it was something stomach related, he recommends Timothy drinks a little bit of wine. But he does not tell Timothy to pray for healing. He does not tell him that. It's not in the text. Also in 2 Corinthians 12, the famous passage that Paul says he has a thorn in the flesh, meaning he has some sort of sickness. We don't know what it is. And Paul specifically prayed personally to Jesus if he would please deliver him on more than one occasion. That is the only recorded prayer of Paul in which he's asking something for him personally, and it had to do with physical healing. The Lord Jesus told him, no, he was not going to heal him, and that his grace would be enough for him. Paul's response was to rejoice, and to be content with his sickness, with his infirmity. So then what are we about to do about this where Paul's asking us to be thankful, to pray, pray for one another, keep this fellowship together? Many times when people approach us, especially if if they're not Christians, they ask us if we could pray for them because somebody's sick. What are we to do to reject them? No, of course we're going to pray for them. Specifically as a minister... I'm commended by James 5 to pray for those who are sick. That God perhaps may grant mercy. So we are to do that. But my friends, when we study the prayers of Paul, when we study Scripture, all the way from the Old Testament to the New, prayers to change circumstance, prayers for physical healing, for physical needs, are by and large, not, are by and large, not the primary importance. That is hard for us to understand. Because in the here and in the now, one of the most important things in our minds is, I don't want to die. I want to be healthy. I want to be healed. Right? I mean, we have some close family members very sick right now in our congregation. We are to pray for them, that God may grant mercy, that God may grant healing. But, my brothers, as important as our bodies and physical health may be, the constant message of the Bible is that our body, that this life will pass away. It is going to pass away quick. So we are not to make an idol of our health. We are not to make an idol of the fear that we have for sickness and dying no over and over and over and over we are told in Scripture that our priority is not to be physically healthy but to be spiritually ready to meet the Lord and therefore we see that spiritual rest is more important than our physical health let us keep that in mind did Jesus heal many? Yes, he healed multitudes. In his mercy he did so. But Jesus specifically said that he came to preach the good news. He mentioned that specifically in Luke 4:43. That's what he said. That he needed to go to another town in order to preach the good news because he said, "For that purpose I came." And Him healing physically was a byproduct of His kindness to those that followed Him. So let us not forget that, my brothers and sisters. The importance of spiritual rest being much more, greatly more important than physical health. So then we've seen this pattern then. Thanksgiving, constant prayer that Paul is encouraging us to when he comes before God in thanksgiving and prayer. Now, this thanksgiving and prayer, as we already briefly spoke about, is accompanied by the third aspect of today's text. And that is Paul's example of longing for fellowship, longing for that companionship. Romans 1, The second half of verse 10 through the first half of verse 13 reads as follows. Asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. For yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented. So Paul had not been to Rome. As far as we know, he was not primarily involved with the planting of the church in Rome. Nevertheless, he expresses his desire to come and see them. He is trusting in God's sovereignty that he would come and see them. But so far, it was prevented. It is clear that Paul had this longing for fellowship with his brethren. So from that, we can gather that it is not normal for a Christian to be okay without fellowship. It's not normal. As far as Scripture is concerned, it is not possible to be a lone wolf Christian. You will not make it. The enemy will eat you up, tear you up, spit you up. So then what is the purpose of Paul wanting this fellowship with the church in Rome? Paul tells us that he wants to serve them. He wants to serve them. And he wants to be mutually encouraged in the faith. So this fellowship then includes service to each other, and encouraging each other in the faith. As we reflect on that, my brothers and sisters, when was the last time that you served a brother or sister in the faith? When was the last time that you encouraged a brother or sister in the faith? This type of service to one another aims to encourage one another and will quickly imply self-sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice something in order to serve your fellow brother or sister. Paul could have been just fine saying, you know, wish you well. And maybe if I see you, no, he's, he has this constant push to want to see them, to want to fellowship with them. He was not comfortable staying where he was. So Paul knew that serving them, visiting them, fellowshipping with them would require some sort of sacrifice. But at the same time, we know that this type of sacrifice and fellowship is what ultimately brings joy, fulfillment, and ultimately glory to God. This fellowship with the saints. What is the alternative if we don't seek this self-sacrificing fellowship with other believers? Well, it's basically selfishness, being self-serving. And the truth is that we will always come out empty-handed if we remain in our natural, selfish ways. Unfulfilled, lacking real joy, and oftentimes even doubting our faith. Because right? who is there with us to, to fellowship and to bear each other's burdens? starts bringing all kinds of doubts to her mind. Let me say this specifically to the men. We learn in this passage and from the teaching of Scripture that we as men are not to be passive when it comes to serving others, especially if you're a Christian. So my fellow brothers, don't be passive in serving others. Foster, cultivate your godly character by serving others. Don't be passive. Look for opportunities to serve. Look for opportunities to step up. In doing so, you are setting a model for your home. In doing so, you are setting yourself to be a godly husband or a future godly husband. If you are not seeking these opportunities to serve others, you are not ready to be a husband. And if you're not doing it, being a husband, your household is upside down. Don't be passive in serving others. This takes us to the last portion of this passage. From verse 13 through verse 15. It reads as follows. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The phrasing that Paul uses here that he wants to reap harvest is the New Testament concept of fruit, showing fruit. Harvesting that fruit refers to the qualities of character as when Paul spoke of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians five twenty two, peace, love, joy, self control, long suffering like that, that's the type of fruit he's talking about. But it can also mean that he's looking for more converts. He is assigned to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's why he says that he's committed to the Greeks. And the barbarians. The barbarians is the technical term there for the non Greeks. Very often we hear, like, oh, it's just a bunch of barbarians. It's just people who are Gentiles and are not Greeks. That's what it means. And Paul expresses here that he's in obligation to them, he's bound to them, he's indebted to them because of his calling to preach to them, to the Gentiles. And that's why he's seeking to preach there so that the non-converts would hear the gospel and hence reap that harvest of new believers. There's one commentator that notes that Paul was a debtor and hence had an obligation to preach to them as a result of the kindness that Paul himself had received from God. And therefore now he was obligated to preach to them. And that's a very key aspect of our faith. When we realize the blessings that God has given us, the kindness that God has shown us, specifically our saving faith, this will produce kindness in us and a longing to spread the gospel like Paul had in wanting to go to Rome. So then we've seen the example of Paul in this attitude of thanksgiving. His example of how he prayed, what he prayed for. And then the example of Paul's commitment and longing to have fellowship. Then I am forced to reflect upon these things. And how is my attitude? How is my character in regards to these three examples that Paul has shown us today? First, am I thankful? If so, thankful to who? Secondly, how's my prayer life? And when I do pray, do my prayers reflect a pattern of what Paul shows? Primarily, the spiritual well-being, the saving of those that are either Christians for their continued growth, or for those that are not Christians, so that they would know God. And then thirdly, how's my fellowship with other Christians? Do I have a solid commitment to the church? Am I surrounded by brothers and sisters that will encourage me, that will enable me to live the Christian life? Or are we just kind of floundering around see if by chance we'll make it? I'll give you the answer now. You will not make it if you isolate. Guaranteed. Many times in our one-on-ones with men in this church, as I share my burdens with them and they share their burdens with me, I often ask, Brother, can you imagine? I mean, it's hard enough being connected to to a church and fellowshipping. Imagine not being connected to anyone. Where can we turn? It's, It's a done deal. The enemy wins. If we have that mentality of, I don't need to be connected. Now let me kind of say a warning here. Please be warned that someone can act thankful. Someone can pretend to pray sincerely. Someone could even check the box and pretend that they have fellowship. But it is not done genuinely. That's just religiosity. And that is not what we're advocating. This can never be done out of compulsion. Cults do that. Christians don't. We are to cultivate and foster this desire to pray for each other, to love each other, to show kindness to each other, to want companionship with each other. And it cannot be done from compulsion it cannot be faked otherwise it'll just lead to despair paul gives us the key of how this is genuine let us go back to romans 1 the first part of verse 9 it reads for my god is my witness whom i serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son paul is doing and longing to do these things not out of his flesh but out of his spirit. See that? Paul is in the spirit. And that should be our longing, to be in the spirit so that then we can do these things. The only way to be in the spirit is you got to be a Christian. you got to be born again. If you are not born again, these things will be foolishness to you. If today you hear this message, and man, this is a bunch of mumble jumbo Who needs that? My friend, you are not a believer. And your need is to repent and trust Christ. And if you are a believer, may the Holy Spirit tug at your heart and convict you that you are sinning if we're not exemplifying the examples that Paul is giving us. Otherwise, what is the alternative? What does the world say? Does the world offer any type of prayer like devotion to particular causes? You bet. If we don't fill our desire to worship and to connect with God and with the people of God, you'll find it elsewhere, for sure. Such as sports, academic success, financial success, hobbies, musics, special interests, political causes, environmental causes, humanitarian causes. Now, are those wrong in and of themselves? No, they're not wrong. Now, many of them could be, especially with the secular movements nowadays. But they will always be evil if that is your primary devotion, if that is what consumes you. And that's where you're filling your fellowship with. If that's where you're filling your devotion to, then for sure it is evil. So let us then keep in mind that the world will be your enemy As you strive to fellowship, as you strive to be thankful, as you strive to pray for one another, the world will offer you a bunch of things that will take that place. Now, each of us, those hurdles, those enemies, if you will, will look different. What is holding you back from fellowship? What is holding you back from genuine prayer? What is holding you back from sharing the burdens with your brothers and sisters. We need to be aware of what those obstacles are. And my friends, if you think you have no obstacles, that means that perhaps you've already been overcome by those obstacles. And instead of those being your enemies, they're actually your friends. Let us be aware. Now, lastly, where does all this point to? My friends, all this points to our need for Christ. That is, for the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The one who gave us fellowship. The one who prayed for us. The one who reached out to us for that fellowship is Jesus. And He's the one who has done it perfectly perfectly. It is ultimately Jesus who has perfect communion with his people, who has prayed perfectly for us, who has perfectly advocated on our behalf in order to be right with God the Father. And it is out of that example that we can look at Paul, that we can look at the saints of old in order for us to have fellowship with God and with one another. May we ask the Lord then to give us that conviction to serve Him and then to serve the church to be thankful, prayerful, to long for fellowship in this church with the right attitude. And as we serve His church that we know that God will be honored and we will be fulfilled. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank you, Lord, for the convictions you have given us of your mercy, of the example of fellowship, of prayer, of thanksgiving that you've given us this morning. Lord, may we be changed people. May we be people of God who are changed by your word each and every time that we study it. Give us humility to receive it and to apply it by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.